0: This time, our musical message from the women, the women's group, and they will do it now.
1: Very
0: nice. The scripture reading this morning is found in John 6. If you want to get out your Bible in front of you and read along with me. Uh, John 6, 1 to 14. After these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. A great multitude followed Him, because they saw His miracles which He had done on them, That were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread, that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred pennyworth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them take, may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here who hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the, barley, the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said this of a truth, that the prophet should come unto the world. our speaker today is Elder Kaler, and the subject is Feeding the 5,000.
1: Thank you. It's good to be back, as I said. The Gospel of John is almost entirely set in Judea. Just four references to Galilee in all of John. So, As opposed to the other three Gospels, they're all set in Galilee, John, almost all in Judea. And so there's just four references in the book of John that include Galilee, and here they are. One is the wedding at Cana, the healing of the nobleman's son, and this story, the feeding of the 5,000, and John 21, after the resurrection when the disciples had that great catch of fish. Those are the four stories that John tells took place in Galilee. So they're unusual that you find John who deals with Judea almost exclusively, including these four stories. This story happened just before the Passover in A.D. 30, a year before Jesus' death, this story. It's the only Passover that Jesus did not celebrate in Jerusalem during his years in ministry. Now, uh, you see, there were... There were, there were uh, actually four passovers during jesus period of ministry he's had the first the second and he missed this one and then he had the fourth one that he spent in uh, jerusalem are you staying with me so far all right it's a very unique story it's repeated in all four gospels that's another rarity to find the same story appearing in one two three four matthew mark luke and john it's a rarity not that rare but it is rare um uh, John 6, 1-14 to 14 that we read, is all, and then Matthew 14, and then Mark 6, and Luke 9. These are the references to this story. It's appearing in all four of them. Now, when you think about that, there's 179 different stories listed in the Gospels. Different stories, 179 of them. This is the first of only 12 that are recorded in all four Gospels. Twelve of them appear in all four. This is the first one. All right? So this is kind of an unusual story. The next such event, which is a group of three, that is, uh, appeared a full year later. Most of the stories that you will find appearing in all four of the Gospels appeared toward the end of Jesus' life. And as I say, here Jesus had spent almost three years with the disciples when the first story appears that are in all four you follow that okay after this group of three that appear a year later it's followed by eight more and this time the resurrection and post-resurrection in chapter six that we just read verse one after these things now before we get into this i want to tell you something that you need to know to understand a little bit about this story that we just read A considerable amount of time happened between this story and what just went before it in chapter 5 of John. A considerable amount of time. I'm going to tell you about what happened. Almost a full year. The close of chapter 5, Jesus was in Judea. In chapter 6, long time, quite a few months later, he's in Galilee. What had happened? Well, these are the things that happened. We knew that they happened, but I'm telling you... Today, a little bit about them a little bit more so you'll understand them. Jesus had, that we know of, three missionary tours that took place throughout Galilee. This is when Jesus would actually go uh, town to town, village to village, and just meet the people, and we don't hear too much about what happened during those missionary tours. Uh, but they they did take place. The first of the uh, mission, well, these are all uh, uh, three of them listed here. Uh, Matthew 9 through 11, Mark 6, and and Luke 9 uh, describe the three missionary tours. Galilee had about 200 villages uh, or towns within Galilee. It was during these missionary tours that Jesus was involved and engaged, not just Jesus, but his disciples with him, going out and going, contacting people and and, uh, transforming the people in those villages creating an enormous amount of interest in Jesus, creating huge amounts of people that followed him. We don't hear those stories, but they nevertheless happened. The first missionary uh, trip took place in the summer of A.D. 29, and here are the references to that. The major one is in the bold. Am I right in the wrong place for you? You can see right through me, can't you? Okay. Okay. That was the first one, the summer of A.D. 29. Early autumn of 29 is the second missionary tour, and you see it mentioned there in Luke uh, 8 and Matthew 9. And the third one, we'll talk a little bit more about these in a few minutes, but just so you can see them together. The third one was in the winter of A.D. 29, following into the following year, A.D. 30, and those are the references. On these tours, the disciples would go two by two, doing what they observed Jesus did. In other words, this was the time for them to go out solo. Not just uh, solo, excuse me, not just by themselves. They always went out two by two, but solo from Jesus. And so they had a chance to to do. He was telling them, you now go out and do what you have observed me doing. And he let them go out. Can you imagine what that would be like? Spending, you know, this time with Jesus and you saw the amazing things Jesus did, you heard the amazing things he said, you see the effect that he has upon people and now he looks at you and he says, now you go out and do what you saw me do. Would you feel really comfortable about that? Well, they were sent out and they did. And you got to give it to them, they their courageous group to go out and do that, right? They went out. And while they were doing that, Jesus himself would be ministering elsewhere at the same time. Now, sometimes they would get back together or he would go out with them, but there was a lot of this solo. That was like when I was a student in college and I went out and worked three summers as a call porter. You know, in the start, they had me working side by side with a leader. And then that day came when the leader said, you're on your own today. Ha, ha. I was scared to death at that first door. I was sure that I was going to have a heart attack right there. You ever been that scared? I mean, the heart just beats crazy. And when the people came to the door, my mouth wouldn't work anymore. It just wouldn't work. Anyway, so that's what the disciples had to deal with. And that's what Jesus had in mind when he called the disciples that they were to do this. He had called them. And you remember early on, he had called the four And then they went out maybe in in the first one, and then he called others, and then they go out in the following ones in the missionary tours. Now let's take a look at that. The first missionary tour took place, I think we said in the, was it the summer of uh, uh, 29? Uh, Here's what Matthew's report of that is. Jesus went all about Galilee, teaching in their synagogues preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria, bigger area. And they brought unto him the sick and he, uh, that were taken with diverse diseases and torments and those which were possessed of devils and those which were lunatic and those that had palsy. And he healed them. And there followed him how many? Great multitudes of people from Galilee and from the Decapolis. Where is the Decapolis across the Jordan River to the east the ten cities and from Judea and from beyond the Jordan and so these were kind of like you might call them modern day evangelism programs you know that created a tremendous amount of interest and it just swelled the ranks of the people that were interested in Jesus this is the first missionary tour Now Mark also talks about it. He says, and he said unto them, let us go into the next towns. That's Jesus talking. That I may preach there also. Uh, For therefore came I forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout Galilee and cast out uh, devils. And there came a leper. This is one of the unique stories that we have from the missionary tours that he took. The story of the leper. Beseeching him and kneeling down uh, uh, to him and saying unto him, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, a leper. Are you supposed to touch them? Moved with compassion, you sometimes break rules. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. And he was cleansed, and he straightway charged him, and forthwith said to him away, and said unto him, See that you say nothing to any man. And I'll talk a little bit about why he said that later on. Don't tell anybody about this. But go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. But he went out, instead he began to publish it much and blaze around the abroad the matter, insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city. You've wondered why Jesus would say, don't tell anybody? Well, that's why. The crowds just got immense. And Jesus could hardly go anywhere because not only did the crowds create enthusiasm, They created a determined resistance among those that were against Jesus. And they raised the stakes and the charges up so high that it became harder and harder for Jesus to do his ministry. That's why he said those kind of things. Okay, now the second missionary tour. Occupy, early autumn of AD 29. Jesus went about all the cities, this is in Matthew 9, and teaching in their synagogue, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and disease. Luke 8, 1, Jesus went through Galilee from city to city, village to village, and it began a few days after the appointment of the twelve, giving the Sermon on the Mount. And the first village he visited was the village of Nain. Do you remember that story? What happened at the village of Nain? Yeah, there were at a funeral going on and, and they were uh, taking the, b- the little boy to be buried. Now, we don't know exactly where Nain is at. It's not on the map, but scholars think it's probably N-E-I-N on the map, 25 miles southwest of Capernaum and five miles southeast of Nazareth. So we got a pretty good idea where that is. And basically, this was a place that um, uh, just... One approach to it was on a steep, rocky path coming from the east, that is coming from the Jordan, past a rock-hewn cemetery, which was a half mile from the village. So Jesus had to go come up this rocky path to get there, a mountain, rocky path, go through the cemetery, or right by the cemetery. No wonder he ran into them, because they were on their way to the cemetery to bury the body of the boy. And he sees the little... He sees the little casket, and he sees the mom. And what's Jesus going to do? Well, what does he do in our prayer time that we share? He responds, right? We ask him to do things, and he responds, and he does them. Well, without even being asked, he does this. And so he heals the widow's son... And this happens to be the first report that we have in the gospel of Jesus actually having direct contact with someone dead. It may not have been the first one, but it's the only one, first one in the gospels. And during this tour, Jesus demonstrated his power over death, over the elements of nature, and over evil spirits. So these are the things that happened during those times that the disciples were out practicing and traveling with Jesus and so forth and doing their missionary tours. Now there's some more things. Somewhere along the western shore of the Lake of Galilee, Jesus spoke the parables recorded in Matthew chapter 13. Setting forth the principles of his kingdom. And then in quick succession in the evening, Christ and his disciples crossed the lake during the great storm and on the following morning morning encountered the gathering demoniacs. You remember these stories. (coughs) This was during the second missionary tour. Later that day, Jesus returned to Capernaum to attend the feast at Matthew's home, <coughs> healed the woman and who touched the hem of his garment, and raised Jairus' daughter. Now we're going to get to the third missionary tour. And we're, we're, just, we're going to take you to the feeding of the 5,000. That's coming. <laughs> During the winter of A.D. 29 through into the early part of uh, year 30 is when this took place. Our knowledge of Jesus' ministry is extremely limited. Uh, in john chapter 10 20 verse 30 and many other signs did uh, jesus do in the presence of his disciples which are not written in the book and there are also many other things which jesus did of which they should be written not everyone even the world itself could contain the books that should be written and so a lot of things happen and john is telling us that we know that what was appeared in the in the gospels is just a segment very enthusiastic crowds the people followed him, received them, and spoken to them of the kingdom of God, and healed them that needed healing. So now you see what's taking place. Over a period of time, the message is getting out to a broader group of people who are getting excited about Jesus. And I say that because that explains some of the things in our story today. On returning from their missionary tour, they had been alone and away from him. The apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all the things both what they had done what they had taught and he said unto them come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while they were totally exhausted for there were many coming and going and they had no leisure so much as even to eat that's how busy it was you think you have exhaustive days they did too they had become weary they needed rest they had positive wonderful experiences Even the ability, Jesus gave it to them, of working miracles. What happens when you have that kind of ability? How many of you experienced a miracle? I mean, enacted a miracle. Made a miracle happen. Did miracles? Would that go to your head? Just a little? They were in danger of taking credit to themselves. In danger of cherishing spiritual pride. They needed to get back with Jesus and get anchored again, in where the source of the power, and that's the reason why it was so important for Jesus to get with them. It was so, it was partly because of the success, they needed to be debriefed properly and brought back into dependence upon God, and they also they'd experienced sorrow because they had made failures. They didn't. It wasn't all success, and I mean. There were people that dogged Jesus and made his life miserable. They dogged the disciples as well. And, it, and their life was tough. And they had faults and they had errors and they had weaknesses and opposition that was hardly you can imagine. And they had failed. And they needed Jesus to correct them in their errors to clarify what they should be doing and also to encourage them. He urged them always to pray. So these were the things that would happen. Send them out on the missionary journeys, get them back, debrief, lift up their hearts, teach them again, prepare them for what he was going to leave them to do, take the gospel to the entire world. Three such missionary journeys. Oh, so they tried to escape the crowd. You remember the crowd in John chapter 6, it mentions it was huge and they wouldn't let them get away. And Jesus, they were were actually on the edge of the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, they wanted to get away, but they just wouldn't let them go. By leaving by boat to a desolate spot across the lake, about four miles across the lake, they thought they would certainly be free of the crowds. Did it work that way? The people would not part from him. They walked by foot. Disciples went across the lake this way four miles across the lake, the people went nine miles by foot up, nine miles, and then down. They could see where the boat was going. It was going to a very desolate place. It was obvious that Jesus and the disciples wanted to be away from people, but they weren't going to accept that. So they went the nine miles over the top to meet them on the other side. When they arrived there, what did Jesus do? Did he scold them for coming? He continued to work. Even though it was critically important that he spend time with those disciples. After all, he was going to go to the cross. And then what time would he have after the cross? This was the preparation time. Who is he going to leave to carry on the church afterwards? Jesus Christ, right? He was going to leave the disciples. And he had to have time with them. And so he stayed with the people nevertheless... And continued to minister to the people. And I think he set an example to the disciples in doing that. Until it was almost dark. And then for the second time. When the day began to wear away. They came to the twelve. And he said to them. Send the multitude away. That they may go to the towns and the country round about. And lodge and get something to eat. Uh, for we are here in a desert, desolate or desert place. This happens to be what happens next. John's fourth of seven signs that he lists in his gospel as proof that Jesus is the Messiah. What happens next? Do you remember what the first one was? Water turning to wine at his mother's request. Do you remember any of the others? Another one, a man laying there beside the pool of water and was, yeah. So, see, there were, you know, there are, this is the fourth one. It happened to be springtime. Passover was approaching. When Passover approaches, what else is happening? Hundreds, thousands of people are making their way to Jerusalem on every highway, every roadway, every path. Carrying their provisions, carrying their food, carrying all of that stuff. They're going to the Passover. And uh, so it was approaching. And all these people were on their way. No one expected what was about to happen next. This was, remember, the only one that Jesus missed, the only Passover that Jesus missed. And this is why. 5,000 people, just 5,000 men. Now, if there was equal number of men and women, that's 10,000 total, right? And add the children. Well, you don't know how many to add. It was, was there 15,000? Probably somewhere between 15,000 or more people. Is that a little bit of a crowd? That's a little bit of a crowd. And they were all hungry. And the disciples and Jesus are concerned about the fact that they're hungry. So what do you do? Order from McDonald's? I don't think McDonald's can handle this one. Right? So he asked Philip where to get food. Why Philip? Well, when you go on the Sea of Galilee, here is the Sea of Galilee. They were over here. They, were got, they escaped to this side. You've got to remember this in... You turn it around this way. <laughs> they escaped to the other side. But as you go up, you get to Capernaum. And over the top, you get to Bethsaida. And that's the home where Philip lived. And so Jesus turns to the one who is a resident of the closest town. Where do we get food? What kind of an answer does he expect from Philip? What kind of an answer should he get from Philip? Well, 5,000... <laughs> They didn't have a, a Walmart in those days. You know, I mean, little, tiny little stores is all they had. You know, shops. Where do you get food for that many? Philip, Andrew, and Peter were from nearby Bethsaida. Philip says, wait, this is an impossibility. It would take six months' wages to feed this many people. Just calculate that in your, your own pocketbook. <laughs> That's a lot of money. Andrew, also from that area, has another suggestion he brings up something that looks so ridiculously small. A little boy had brought his, what? His lunch. Five barley loaves, two fishes about the size of maybe sardines. A boy's lunch. Does that sound like a plausible solution? Have you ever been in a board meeting and somebody makes a stupid, ridiculous, you know, suggestion and everybody laughs? Well, everybody would have laughed at what, you know, Andrew. But was that the right solution? Jesus takes the silly, ridiculous, and turns it into the most amazing story that we're read today. Five barley loaves, the cheapest of food, two fishes. They might have used these to pickle them and to turn them in kind of a relish to spread on the bread. It has become one of the most famous meals of all time. It happened in a secluded who knows what place there on the eastern side, northeastern side of the Sea of Galilee. I want to suggest to you that this is John's story of the Lord's Supper. He doesn't tell us the story of the Lord's Supper. The other disciples, the synoptic disciples do. He tells us this story of how the Lord fed people. Interestingly enough, he takes the bread, Jesus does, and blesses it. The word blessing is Eucharistus. From it we get our word Eucharist, which is translated in churches today as Lord's Supper. So maybe that's what John has in mind. And it's one of his seven signs. Why is it so important? Well, here is the miracle. And I think this is so amazing to all of us. It began with Jesus offering nothing more than the same prayer that fathers did in their homes over every meal. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, who causeth to come forth bread from the earth. Very simple prayer. And out of that simple prayer, you know, look what amazing things happen. Sometimes we think we have to have this flowery, from heaven language to see anything really spectacular happen. Jesus, given the same old prayer that every father gives, look what the Lord did in response to that prayer. Very humble and yet great results. He simply asked and he got it. How often miracles are the results of very, very simple prayers. Triggered by prayer and simple gifts that we present to the Lord, results in great things they gathered up the fragments you remember that and how many were gathered up twelve baskets full each disciple had a basket and it was full more came back than went out it's amazing was the miracle necessary have you ever thought about that well I'm going to suggest it probably wasn't from a real realistic point of view Because those people on the way to Jerusalem, and by the way, no city nearby, they were pilgrims, they were on their way to Jerusalem. They were loaded to the hilt with provisions. Because they knew they would have to have them when they got to Jerusalem. And so, you know, they didn't really have to feed him. Jesus could have sent them just on their way and they would have got something to eat. But he used this as an opportunity to be able to really touch their hearts in a special way. And, you know, and what did that do when you have 15,000 plus on the way to the Passover that Jesus didn't attend telling everybody when they got there what do you think they were telling them? What they had just experienced up in Galilee. Well, the effect. John is the only one to report its effect. When they, the people, had seen the miracle that Jesus did, they said, This is of a truth. That prophet of whom Moses spoke that should come into the world. And you go back and you go and look in in the time of Moses and Moses predicted that a prophet would come and would do such wonderful kind of things. And they now said, this is the one that Moses was talking about. Impossibilities. Jesus had turned water into wine. Mary had no idea how she was going to solve her real simple dilemma. It was not a life-threatening situation, was it? It was just Jesus, you know, asking her son to do something to help her out of a situation she was in. I don't have enough wine. I don't know how to get it. I can't get it. Can you help? And Jesus did that. He didn't really have to feed these 15,000 or how many it was. He just did it because he wanted to. You remember the nobleman's son. This is a little bit more urgent, isn't it? You know, he was afraid his son's going to die. And so what does he do? He comes and he asks Jesus. And, you know, Jesus pushed him a little bit because he wanted him to have faith, you know, and trust him. And the nobleman realized he didn't really have that kind of faith and it may cost his son's life. And so he had that faith real quick. <laughs> and... Then the paralyzed man at Bethesda, 38 years. Jesus just simply comes into that man's life, and it's like, wow, Christmas had come. And his whole life was changed. Prior to this, Jesus had, on record, 15 healings, three miracles that were told about. Certainly there were more than that. So why were the, why were the disciples and the apostles concerned about what to do about feeding this crowd? Why were they thinking of human solutions when they had seen so many things Jesus had done? Does this ever happen to us? Do we have a history of a lot of miracles that God has done? When we have a problem, is our first solution to think about God? I have told you the story about the same girl who um, has this amazing faith in God that was just about crushed, not able to have a child, that second child. When she was young, she had... A real special purse that she had that had money in it that she was going to use to buy something, something really precious. And she'd taken it to the store and left it somewhere in the store. And when she got home, she couldn't find it and didn't know what were we were going to do. She didn't even remember where it got lost. It could have been in the store somewhere else, not sure. And so while we were wondering what to do, guess what she did? Her suggestion was that we pray. pray. That's great. And we prayed. And then we thought, oh, let's try the store. We called the store. The clerk looked, found the purse. I'm convinced it was prayer. I'm just convinced it was prayer. You know, and so that's, you know, I think these things, sometimes we don't think that our situation is that important. Well, a little purse with not too much money is not that great an issue. <laughs> these people had food too, you remember? 5,000 plus. Why the concern of the disciples? not how quickly we forget faith is realized impossibilities impossibilities that become real how we crave miracles but are not changed by them the disciples love to see a miracle prove that who he was but it didn't change their heart don't expect a miracle to always change your heart his gifts are miraculous they're designed to open our eyes and it was to bring them back to think about a time when Moses brought down from heaven bread, manna, heavenly manna. The people were thinking they were seeing Jesus right then and there. The Lord thy God will raise up among thee a prophet from the midst of, thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto whom ye shall hearken. That's who they thought Moses was referring to. We think too small. On an earthly limited level, um, they wanted to make Jesus king. So their lives would be better. The multitude were bent on crowning him, perceiving the sentiments of the multitude pay attention here the disciples took the initiative, and the next thing, they wanted to make him king. All right, we think that's natural. We think that maybe even noble. Make him a king. right? Um, because he had done this. this is one of the few times in the scripture that we read of Jesus actually getting mad when they thought about that. Judas was the first of the twelve to sense the significance of this sentiment of the crowd, this 15,000 people on the way to Passover. They wanted to take him down and just claim the crown right there. But Jesus abruptly sends everyone away. He spoke with such authority and force. It surprised the disciples. The word Euthyos, immediately, and an anagkasa, I can't even say the word, to compel, imply both haste and urgency on the part of Jesus and hesitation and reluctance on the part of the disciples. Whoa, is that the end? Oh, well, I think we missed a slide or two. The story of the feeding of the 5,000 is an amazing story. And it's one of the signs that John used to remind us about Jesus. I think the neat thing about the story is the fact that he didn't really have to do it. But he did it. I think it's like my daughter didn't really have to answer the question, but he did. And there's so many of our stories that are that way. It's a sign that Jesus is who he is. Sometimes what we do with those signs can be pretty dangerous. And what we want to do is basically take Jesus and start to use him for our purposes. Make him a king or whatever it may be. And Jesus has to step in and say, I'm not playing that game. We already know why. If they did this, it would cut short the last year of his ministry. The only time he had left He was on an appointment with destiny. And we don't always understand why Jesus does things the way he does. Sometimes when we, like the disciples, get kind of abruptly stopped in our path, thinking we're doing the right thing and God shuts the door shut, we are confused. From this story, we'll go to our next story. That night, after the crowd was dismissed, Jesus went to the mountain. Disciples went to their boat. Do you remember what happened? That's sign number five. And we'll get that next time. And that is how Jesus responded to the failure of the disciples. Amazing story of a great storm on the lake and what Jesus did. I hope that this journey through the Gospel of John is helping you to see these stories in a little bit more of a Uh, a complete way and and you get to capture an idea of what really is taking place there and why the story is happening. Uh, That's what I'm hoping. So continue to pray for us as we work our way through. I don't remember when I'm preaching here next but I'll be be talking about that storm on the lake next time I'm here. It's in the bulletin, isn't it? When am I here next? I think I'm here. Um, Yeah. 24th. And that's when we'll talk about that storm on the lake. A fascinating story. Thank you for these stories in the Bible, Lord. Thank you that they are the foundation and the seeds when planted in our heart can make us strong and mighty for you. Can teach us the things that we need. May them, even though the story has ended here, that as we go home and we read the story again at home and we think about it, May the messages and the truths that are in that story for us to learn and to embrace and make part of our lives. May that all happen. And we really want to serve you well. We want to be your disciples today as those were long ago. And I just pray your blessing upon us. Bless each one of us. We've prayed for everybody already here in our prayer time, but now as we leave, I just pray your spirit will be with us. May we be able to witness for you this week. May we have their, your joy and your smile on our face so we might be able to tell others about you. Or they just might ask and want to know why we're so happy. And I just pray that you will help us to be the kind of people that you would like us to be. Help us to have faith and help us to believe and learn from the lessons that we, we uh, have learned at your hand and so that we don't forget them so easily and we can have strength that will come into our heart as a result. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.